This is Parsha Panorama in this week's Parsha, so Vayakel and Pikude, the two of them together as a single unit. There's plenty to be, to be said on each one, and we're going to look at the panoramic view of both Vayakel and Pikude, and the unit of Vayakel and Pikude, both as individual parshas, and of course in the greater whole of Sefer Shemos and the Torah at large. This is the closing week of Sefer Shemos. Of course, this week is also Parsha Sechodesh. We did a Parsha Panorama special for that. If you want to go back and listen to it, you definitely should. Um, and there's plenty to be said, actually, about the connection between HaChodesh and Vayakil and Pikude. Stay tuned for later this week of Ezra Hashem. But right now we have plenty to look at, plenty on our plate between Vayakil and Pikude by themselves. So, without further ado, let's go right into it. What exactly is Vayakil about? What exactly is Pikude about? And, you know, when we consider these questions... The answer, which is fairly simple to these questions, if you just look at what the Chumash has to say for these partios, the larger question, perhaps, is why, in fact, there needed to be full partios devoted to Vayakil and Pikude. And that is because Vayakil and Pikude contains so much repetition from all the things that we saw in Truma and Titzave. And just to make things fairly easy for us, I'll say that, in a certain sense, what Vayakel is the Parshas Truma, Pikude is the Parshas Tetzave. That is because Parshas Vayakel largely, largely focuses on the construction of the Mishkan. So all of the things that were issued in the form of a command in Parshas Truma, those all come to fruition, those are all actualized, those are all realized in Parshas Vayakel when all the things described in Truma are actually built in real time. And Parshas Pekude, for example, features, among a couple of other things, it features the manufacturing of the Big Day Kahuna, something which we saw was issued in the form of a command in Parshas Titzave. So, a lot of that works out really well. There is more between Vayakil and Pikude than just those things. But these are the things that take up most of the Parshios. And of course we have, you know, so the completion of the Mishkan, the, the entire process which began in Truma, and even if it didn't begin chronologically in Truma, right, we had the discussion back then with regards to the Ein Mukdim Umuchar, did this happen? Was the command issued when Moshe Rabbeinu was at Har Sinai right after Parshas Mishpatim or not? Ramban, Rashi, not so much for now. But what is important is that we have, between Vayakil and Bakude, we have the completion of the Mishkan. So, for example, um, we, you know, even though the, the most of the building, the most of the construction takes place in Vayakil, there are Midrashim that talk about how, and now it's, honestly, it's not just Midrashim, but the actual erection of the Mishkan, the erecting of the Mishkan, however you want to put it, did not fully take place until Parashas Pekude, the Chumash describes there, Hashem commands Moshe Rabbeinu to erect the Mishkan. And so in Pekude, we mostly have the reckoning of the Mishkan, as I mentioned, the manufacturing of the Big Day Kahuna, and of course the Hashras Shechina, Hashem's Shechina resting upon the Mishkan at the very end of the Parsha, and that is how Pekude ends. But just to give you all the components of the parasha, just so you see 
everything that's there. So for Parshas Vayakel, I actually have three sections. And then for Pakude, I have four sections of all the contents. So here, the tabernacle of contents, right here in Vayakel. So the first is the assembling of the people, right? The Lashon of Vayakel, that Moshe Rabbeinu assembles them. And he teaches them about Shabbos. Why? To teach them that the Mishkan project does not override Shabbos, right? So this is also where you find the command of Why specifically is the um, the mitzvah, or I should say the Isra Malacha of Eish highlighted? Is it in fact an Isra Malacha? This is actually a Machlokas, though we hold it is. And there's a lot to be said about that, and we even devoted a Muslim minutes to this Pasuk of right, You can look that up. Um, but that's the first component of Ayakel. Then in section two of Ayakel, at least my section two, we have the prep for the building of the Mishkan, which features the collection of all of the raw materials, the public announcement of Bitzalel and Ohaliyav to be the leaders on the construction site. They were first... Um, appointed in Parshas Kisisa, at least that's the first time we hear their names, but it wasn't made public yet until Parshas Vayakhel. And of course, in the collection, we find that there was just too much. The collection had to stop. Vayaviru kol that Moshe Rabbeinu said, okay, stop bringing things, there's just too much. So all of that is the preparation for the building of the Mishkan. So after the people were assembled, they prepared for building the Mishkan. And then finally... Section 3 in Vayakhel, we have the actual construction. And the construction of all of the components of the Mishkan in order starts with first the Mishkan structure, which included the tapestry or the arios, the curtains, the beams or the krushim, and of course the parochas and masach, which separated the holy or the heichal, the kodesh, and the kodesh hakodesh and the holy of holies. So after the construction of the Mishkan structure, we had everything that was, um, I guess, that, that which we would call the furniture of the, of the Mishkan. So in order, there was the Arunah Kodesh, there was the Shulchan, the Menorah, then the Mizbech HaKetores, the Shemana Mishcha, and the Ketores with, with the Mizbech HaKetores. Then there was the Mizbech HaOla, right? So the first Mizbech was the Mizbech of the gold Mizbech, which is the inner Mizbech. The Mizbech HaOla is the outer Mizbech, also known as the Mizbech HaChitzon, also known as the Mizbech HaNechoshes. And then finally the Kiar, we have the faucet, the laver. So all, and then after all the furniture, so again we had the construction of the Mishkan structure, then the Mishkan furniture, and then the chutzer, the surrounding aspect of the 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 Mishkan, that which surrounded it. So there was a there was a whole courtyard. Now before we get to Pakude, just a question that you might have had, something to consider, is think about the order of the construction. We have Mishkan structure furniture, then it's the thing surrounding the mishkan, the courtyard. So we go, so we start from a pretty outer layer, the, the, the structure, then we go into all of the inner, all of the furniture, and then we go back out to the courtyard. So that's an interesting order, right? Because 
you know, I guess I guess the question is why are we going in and out and then, or rather, why are we going out and then in then out very far again? If you could think of it as three layers, right? The three layers are the chutzer, then the next inner layer would be the structure, and then the next inner layer from there would be all of the furniture. So the order of the actual construction is we do layer two, then we go into layer one, and then we go back out into layer three, which is an interesting order. Why would we do it that way? So if you want to compare and contrast the construction of the Mishkan to Truma when the command was issued, so the order that we see Truma um, actually starts off, the order is layer, um, assuming that the, all the furniture is layer one, so we have layer one, then two, then three. We go from the furniture to the structure to the outer, the courtyard. So. Why exactly is there this change in order? So we know that there's a Midrash that talks about how Moshe Rabbeinu and Betzalel actually had a slight machlokas. Moshe Rabbeinu um, conveyed the commands as we saw it in Truma, but apparently Hashem kind of communicated the commands to Moshe in, in, uh, in both ways, uh, supposedly. Um, the one that we're, we're told is that Betzalel um, argued with Moshe Rabbeinu, obviously very respectfully, that... How can you command me to make the Aron first and all of the furniture of the Mishkan if um, there's nowhere to put it? The Aron's going to be sitting out. There's going to be no place for it. So you should, um, you know, the way of the world is to make the structure first. And then after you make the structure, then you make everything that goes inside. And Moshe Benus says, you know, by gosh, you're, you're, you are created Betzal Kel. Betzalel is your name because you're in the shade of God because that's exactly what Hashem said. Hashem actually intended that we do it your way. So there's what to be said, and there's, there's a lot of Torah on this topic, which we're not going to delve into right now, why Moshe Rabbeinu was looking first at the nucleus of the Mishkan, which is the Aron. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu started with. And even though maybe it's, um, it, it, this might be, what we call sof ma'aseb ma'achshava tachila, that you have to think of the Aron first, even if it's not the very first part of the Mishkan you're going to make, but the Mishkan structure itself. But ultimately the way it was done was the way it's done in Vayakhel, that we have the structure first. If that's true then, I could understand making the structure first, but why not make the outer courtyard first? And it could be the Indian is that the, that the, you know, we go, we have this, seemingly um, um, inside-out kind of an order, you might say that in a certain sense, the Mishkan is more of the Iker than the Chatzar, right? The Chatzar, um, you know, it's it's more of an outer protection, you might say, right? The Hashras HaShchina, to my knowledge, was not so much on the Chatzar, but it was on the Mishkan itself, even if there was higher concentration in the, you know, in the Kodesh HaKadoshim between the Kruvim on the Aron, which might have been the case, and which obviously was the case, but nonetheless, the, uh, the whole point is that we make the structure first, then we make um, the furniture that goes inside, both of these things together can be considered the ikr, and then the chutzer reasonably is saved for the end. Okay, so that's that's what we find in Vayakhel, and maybe just to go back to to uh, Havaras Eish, why is that singled out? So if you want to see some of Farshim on the topic, the Ramban, the Rashbam, the Ibn Ezra, Tosos, the Beitzah, and the Chizkuni, they, they, they highlight how um, Eish is highlighted as an Isser on Shabbos, specifically on Shabbos, because um, not um, whereas on Yom Tov, 
um, kindling a fire, for example, for Ochel Nefesh, um, would be or would be something that's mutter. So the Chumash highlights by Shabbos Los Tzvaru Eish, and yet you have a Tosfos to Shabbos and Chafam and Alf, and and this also the Chizkuni and the Kliyakar, who all say that the reason why we specify Los Tzvaru Eish B'Chumash V'Seichin Yom Shabbos is to say that even though you will be allowed to kindle a fire for the purposes of performing the Avoda in the Mishkan, but when it comes to construction, when it comes to any other purposes, you do not kindle a fire on Shabbos. Okay, so a little bit on that, fine. There are, there, are other, there are plenty of other questions to be addressed, but all of this is what we find in Parsha's Vayakel. Now moving on to Parsha's Pekude, we have um, four sections, as I laid it out. We have the Pekude HaMishkan, or the reckoning of the weight of the Mishkan materials. Interesting that this is an important factor. Not, not, I guess not so much for now, but just to understand that Hashem weighed out every single... Or Hashem had um, humans, right? I mean, and this was done by the hands of Isamar HaKoin, or Itamar. And they, um, he, um, he led the reckoning of the Mishkan materials. And we, we see that... Um, every, everything that was given matters. It was weighed, and Hashem looks at the literal gravity of each thing, and perhaps the spiritual gravity. So we have the reckoning. Then, number two, we have the manufacturing of the big, the big day kahuna, the ko, the kohanic vestments. Three, we have the mishkan being brought to Moshe for his approval, which is a very fascinating aspect because apparently the construction was mostly finished, but and the midrash talks about how actually. They, um, they, they couldn't completely erect it, and they were kind of bringing it to Moshe as if to say, Moshe, what did we do wrong? Like, you know, it's not finished yet. And we know that Moshe Rabbeinu ultimately looks at everything. He says he did a good job. Fine. And then, four, we have the completion of the Mishkan, which we have the command on Rosh Chodesh Nisan to arrange and anoint all of the, the, uh, the furniture of the Mishkan with the Shaman Mishka, we have the actual erecting of the Mishkan, we have the positioning of the furniture, and then of course Hashem's glory fills the Mishkan. And then Moshe Rabbeinu the Chumash tells us he's not able to go in because the cloud is hovering over, and um, the Shechina is now there, and that is how the Parsha and Sefer Shemos ends. Now here's the question. There are a lot of questions, uh, but we'll focus on just a couple. Again, this Parsha could have been much smaller. Or these two Parshas could have been much smaller. It could have been one Parsha, first of all. It didn't have to be a Vayakya and a Bikude. It did not have to tell us so many times that, oh, they, you know, they, they, they went ahead and they did this. They constructed the menorah, all of its parts, the Shulchan and all of its parts, the Mizbeach, all of its parts. The Chumash didn't have to do this. It simply did not. And even when giving us the weight of all of the, of the materials, it, it's, it's fascinating that the Chumash went out of its way to tell us all these things. So we get the construction, we get the minutia, we get the details, we get the, the numbers, we calculate the reckoning. It's very strange. It's all very strange. Big Day Kahuna, we were told about the Big Day Kahuna. You know, you realize there, there are so few Rashis in Vayakil and Bakudeh. You know why? Because Rashi knows what we all know, that we heard all this already. And if you want all the, the information, you go back to the Rashis in Truma and Tetzava. There are some Rashis in Vayakil and Bakudeh where Rashi says, just go back to Truma and Tetzava, where I described all these things already. So why, in fact, are we describing them again? What's the whole point? Question number one. Question number two. Besides for why do these parshias exist, why in fact is this 
the be-all, end-all of Sefer Shemos. Where, in fact, are we in the Torah, in the history of the world, in this part of the Torah? What exactly is the be-all, end-all of Sefer Shemos? Why, in fact, is this it? What does this, uh, this period in time, what does this mark? Well, what, well, what is the mark of Vayakil and Pekudai? Right, uh, if, we, if we would have argued, you know, Vayakil and Pekudai could have possibly... Um, you know, the, the, the Chumash could have given a different end to say for Shemos altogether. Um, there's a famous Ramban. We'll have to talk about this Ramban. That Shemos is known as Sefer Geula, and for some reason, says the Ramban, the Geula was in fact not complete until Vayakil and Bakudei. So why is that? So as we mentioned, Vayakil and Bakudei contains a lot of details, a lot of seemingly extra, extraneous. Repetitive, redundant. How, how 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 repetitive can I be in using the word in using other words for repetitive? But that's the point. If it's frustrating you, so now you understand the issue with Vayakil and Pakude. So why, in fact, do we have all these details? Should I ask the question again before I answer it? Okay. In all seriousness. Vayakil Bikude, if we would be able to narrow down to all of the new aspects of it, we could have had one Pusik that just says that the Mishkan and its 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 uh its furniture was all furnished and, and manufactured. And the the Chumash could have said that. Um, we could have talked about Shabbos for a second, just like the Chumash does. And even in Pakude we could have been told that everything was brought to Moshe, Moshe approved. And then the Mishkan was erected, and then the cloud came over the Mishkan. So you could have had one little parsha for both Vayakil and Pikude. It would have been a pretty small parsha, just uh, you know, sparing a lot of psukim. So really, just one parsha, one parsha, and a much smaller parsha. Because my my point in, in saying this is that it's not that there are absolutely no new details and new parts of the story in Vayakil and Pikude. There are a couple. And, and I'm, I'm giving credit to those parts. You can have a smaller Parsha for Vayakil and Pakude. But again, not, not two Parshios, and certainly not two Parshios as long as Vayakil and Pakude are. I think as it is, Vayakil and Pakude with HaChodesh might be the longest Kriya Satora, if not Vayakil and Pakude when they are with Para. Um, someone will have to fact check me and, and get back to me on that. But one of these two configurations is the longest possible Kriya Satora. So for any Bar Mitzvah boys who have to do that, so. Um, that's uh, something to I guess brag about, and uh, be a, and be scared about if if you haven't you know gotten there yet. But all of that said, we have a really long Kriya Torah, and again, all the details. So the question, I guess, is what's what's really the chiddush? The chiddush of all the details, the chiddush of the fact that all these things were done. Right, one pasuk could have said that that everything was created, everything was done. Kasher tzivashem es Moshe. But in fact, this is the point. And that is that all of this is a huge, huge chiddush. Why? Consider what the purpose of the Mishkan was, at least according to Rashi. We know that according to the Ramban, and according to everyone, I don't think you could really argue this, it was a place of Hashras HaShchina, the Shechina to come down to Klal Yisrael. But Rashi specifies that even more, or at least as much, it is an atonement a kapara for one of the biggest tragedies when we completely did the opposite of Kasher Tziva Hashem Moshe. And that was the Chet Egel. 
the Chet HaEgel, as we've described, was the ultimate about-face to Ratzon Hashem, to the experiences of Pesach and Kabbalah Satora. And the Ramban, I believe, says that the Chet HaEgel was an attempt, in a, in, a, in, a, in a bad attempt, a poor attempt at recreating the Hashras HaShchina of Har Sinai, trying to summon Hashem to our whim. And Hashem says, there's a way to do it right. And we, we tried to kind of create a hybrid of Rashi and the Ramban. That in fact, the Mishkan is an atonement to the Chet Egel as Rashi explains, but it's also a recreation of Har Sinai. It is a regaining of the Hashras HaShchina that we once had. How is that Hashras HaShchina created? It's created by every single Kasher, Tziva Hashem as Moshe doing everything the way Hashem had commanded Moshe and not deviating one bit. Every single Pasuk is repeated to tell us that we did it exactly at this point in time. Whatever we had done wrong at the Chet Egel, at this point in time, we had done everything exactly the way Hashem had commanded it. There's the Tikkun, the Tikkun for what was broken at the Chet Egel. Not to mention that the word Vayakhel, that Moshe gathered everyone together, it has the same exact spelling as the word, the one of the opening words in the Chet Egel, Vayikahel al-Aron, that they gathered against Aaron. The word Vayikahel has all the same letters of Vayakhel, just different nukudos. The beginning of the Avera was they all gathered and bombarded Aaron. Now they're all gathering together to Moshe to do exactly Kasher Hashem as Moshe. And if Hashem says, don't build the Mishkan, Shabbos, then the answer is, you stop. Because not everything that you think is, is, is good, is good. Proof positive to that is the Chet Egel, And Shabbos then is going to be the reminder that you do everything within accordance of Kasher Tzivah Moshe. So if it's Shabbos, you stop. If it's not Shabbos, you go. And you build the Mishkan exactly Kasher Tzivah Hashem Moshe. Go ahead and count how many times Kasher Tziva Hashem Moshe. And then Hashem does a reckoning of every detail, making sure everything is in line. Oh, does God really care about details? He cares about halachic minutia. Ma'avada azos asks the Russia in the Haggadah. Okay, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, a few weeks. But this, this is the question, right? God really cares? He cares about the lumdis, right? The, the, the halachic give and take, the shaklevataria. Hashem cares about what this Rishon says versus what that Rishon says. Why, why, why are we focusing so much on this? Hashem weighs out every single piece of material, every ounce of the Mishkan, because each part of it is kasher tziva Hashem as Moshe. And if you're trying to figure out kasher tziva Hashem as Moshe, what in fact is Ratzon Hashem? What was communicated between Hashem and Moshe Rabbeinu? And there's nothing more beautiful than that. This is what Vayakil and Pekudei are. And if we understand that, if we understand, we could perhaps understand what Vayakil and Pekudei mean on the bigger map of the Torah. And of course, in Sefer Shmos. The Ramban once again tells us that the Sefer Hagaula would not be complete without Vayakil and Pekudei. And that is specifically because leaving Mitzrayim 
that was just the beginning. That wasn't, you know, that, 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 that was hardly sufficient. Of course we needed a Kabbalah Satoru. But says the Ramban, we do not have a full Geula until we are restored to the former glory, the glory that, of, that, that, that our Avos had, the glory of being chariots for the Divine Presence, having Hashem's Shekhinah resting very stably upon us. And until the Mishkan was complete, we absolutely did not have that. We got very close at Harsina. Hashem's Shekhinah was there. But in a very short time, we demonstrated that, in fact, our grasp on the Shekhinah was absolutely not stable. And we needed to come and climb back up from that. Thus comes along Vayakil and Bakudai. Vayakil and Bakudai, and it ends with the divine stamp. Not just the stamp of approval of Moshe Rabbeinu, but the Shekhinah itself comes down on the Mishkan, saying that we've done what we were supposed to do. Now, where are we on the larger map of the Torah? How far have we come? Well, we know that the Mishkan was a lot of things. We spoke in the past about how, according to the Ramban, the Mishkan is the place of Ashras, Shrina, Rashi. It's an atonement for the Cheta Egel, Rambam, how it is a base avoda. We spoke about the Rav Tzadok, quoted by Halakach Valibov, Rav Arvam Shor, that you, know, you have Mishkan versus Mikdash. Both are called both, meaning the Mishkan is also called the Mikdash. Mikdash is also called the Mishkan. That the, you know, the Mikdash highlights the, the, the tefillah aspect. Mishkan highlights the Torah aspect. Go back and listen to Parsha Struma, Parsha Panorama. But we know, perhaps we've heard this many, many times over, that what else is the Mishkan? The Mishkan is a microcosm of the world at large. Hashem created the world, and then we create this mini world. Think about how, at the end of Parsha, at the end of Rishon in Parsha's Bereshis, at the end of creation, Vayar is Tov Maod. Hashem looked at the world He had created, and in fact, it was very good. We find a parallel pasuk in Parsha's Bekude when all of the Mishkan components are brought to Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu looks at everything. He takes a good look at everything, just like Hashem, Kaviachal, took a look at his entire world. And Moshe Rabbeinu gave them his stamp of approval and blessed the work of their hands. Why? Because when it came to the Mishkan, we succeeded in becoming partners with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. Right between the Mishkan and Shabbos, right? we, when we testify that Hashem created the world, we stop creating on Shabbos. We become partners with Hashem by creating that edus. And what an accomplishment that is, especially when we consider the panoramic view of the Torah at large as we've been presenting it until now. In Kemat, every previous episode of Parsha Panorama, that once upon a time Hashem created the universe with the intention, as we saw from the Ramchal and other Mukabalim, the intention of giving the ultimate good to a recipient. That recipient was going to be mankind, but of course, after a couple generations, mankind failed, and so Hashem said, there's got to be a way to get to mankind through one individual who can be matakin the entire world, through one individual, one family, one nation, under God, yes, but one nation who can be the conduit through which the entire world can receive blessing. This is why it's a schus, for the nations of the world to subject themselves to Kalal Yisrael. Of course, they don't have to. Um, everything's up to their choice. If they want to be part of Kalal Yisrael, that's also their choice, even better. Of course, we don't recommend it because there's a big responsibility to taking on extra levels of Kedusha. 
But the option is always there. And now that we are who we are, we went through the Mitzrayim process. We went through Gaul's Mitzrayim. Why? Because just like Hashem gave a test to mankind, because the ultimate good requires that we be tested, it requires that we have the choice, it requires the alternative to the ultimate good, and sometimes that the cost is that we grab the opposite of the ultimate good. That's exactly what we did at the Chet Egel. Hashem gave us a Torah, but of course, Hashem gave us the opposite. He gave us the Eitzahara, and you have to choose. Barasi Eitzahara, Barasi Torah Tavon, which one are you going to choose? And now, given the opportunity once again, we create the Mishkan. We reach the former glory of being at Har Sinai, which we've already said is also the same former glory of being in Gan Eden once again. And now, the Shechina is with us again. What an accomplishment is Sefer Shemos to get us to that point. And what can go wrong? Well, if we know history, plenty can go wrong. You know, you don't need to you know, go through Beratius until how far we've came now in, in, in Sefer Shemos. We know things can go wrong, and it's always a constant battle. You know, to, to stay up on our pedestal, to keep growing in levels of Avodos Hashem, and trying to be attacking the world in the way we can by fulfilling Ratzon Hashem. But that's the test. That's the test of not just Sefer Shemos and Sefer Beratius, it's the test of life, and it's going to be a test that will continue into the very next Sefer, Sefer Vayikra. There will be less narrative, and the avoda of Parsha Panorama is going to be somewhat different, no less packed, no less panoramic. There will be plenty to see. But in the meantime, for now, that takes us through Parsha Panorama for Vayakil and Pekude, and of course for Sefer Shamos. So hopefully you have something to think about for this Shabbos. And we'll see, Ben's Hashem, what's in store for the very next week of Parsha Panorama, the very next Sefer for Parsha Panorama, Sefer Vayikra. But until then, Chazak, Chazak, Benis Chazek, have an absolutely wonderful Shabbos. Thank you for joining us here at the Database.